0: Thank you, choir and instrumentalists. We are in Genesis chapter 14 this morning. We're going to jump right in to an important passage. I've been preaching on sitting down with Abraham because Jesus said many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And we are those who come from the east and the west. So we're sitting down with Abraham in this series, seeing how he lived his life faithfully unto God and how we might do it as well. In the first part of chapter 14, we have a story of the four kings and the five kings who battled one another. And the four kings, led by Keteleomer, overthrow the five kings who are from the Jordan River Valley. And in verse 12 of Genesis chapter 14, the Scripture says those four kings not only took all the booty of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities of the plain, but they carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. One who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. It is the first time the word Hebrew is used in the Bible right here. And it means one from beyond and may be derived from an ancestor, Eber. I like the idea of Abram being from beyond, that he is called the Hebrew because he crossed over the river Euphrates and came into Canaan. And we too are Hebrews as we cross over the barriers to follow God's call and to receive his promise. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. And I want to stop right there. And just note what a time Abram's family is having. In chapter 13, we saw the crisis brought on by Abram deceiving Pharaoh and passing off Sarah as his sister. And the family went into crisis when Pharaoh discovered the trick that had been played upon him. The reason the family had that initial crisis was because of the bad judgment of Abram, which we talked about, and how instead of being a man of faith, he became a man of fear in that instance and acted in that way and disappointed, I'm sure, his wife as well as his God. But in chapter 13, he reestablished the worship of the Lord and began again to be a man of faith, having returned to the land of promise. For the second time now, his family is in crisis. This time it is also because of bad judgment, not the bad judgment of Abram but the bad judgment of his nephew, Lot, whom he received into his family and who has been traveling with him all these years, who has become wealthy as a companion of Abram in the land of promise. And you'll remember that Lot, in a previous time, chose the rich and fertile Jordan Valley as the place where he and his flocks would go and left Abram on the mountain in the more rocky region. And Abram gave him that choice. And we discovered in that passage that Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom, which says to me that maybe when he set up his tent there in the valley, he kind of turned the door toward Sodom. Now we discover that he is a resident of Sodom. He's moved his tent closer and closer to Sodom until he lives in that wicked city. Abram is told, about the battle of the kings and the problems that arise. But the person who escaped the battle especially says to him, Lot, your nephew has been taken captive. I don't know that Abram would have been moved to help these defeated kings because they lost their booty or because their people were taken. It was the plight of his nephew, Lot, who is called his brother, that moved Abram to action. Abram goes to battle for his family. And I want to say to everybody in this room, if you are a man of faith and a person of faith, then you go to battle for your family too. Abram goes to battle for his family. Is he a perfect family man? No. We've discovered he is not. He's lost his sense of direction before. But he knows what is important to him, and he did not invent this importance. God promised him, it is through you and your descendants that I'm going to bless the whole earth. And it was the Most High God who first pointed out to Abraham the importance of his family. And Abram is willing to marshal his resources and initiate a battle to save his nephew, Lot. He's going to go to war. It's the only time we know of that Abram goes to war. He's not a man of war like David. But Abram has done something in his camp that is very interesting. I don't know what you think of when you read that Abram pitched his tents near the oaks at Mamre. Maybe you think of Abram and Sarah rolling out their tent and getting out the tent pegs and putting up their tent there. And and that's what you see is the settlement. Here we learn that there are 318 grown men who were born in the household of Abram that he marshals for service in delivering his nephew Lot. And And these these are not just random individuals. Born into the camp of Abram, they have been trained in the art of war. They are trained men. And the word trained is larger than military training. They are instructed not only in war, but in life. And part of the greatness in the faith of Abram is that he took seriously the call of God to pass on what he heard and the blessing of his faith. And so he saw himself as a teacher. And every man in this room is a teacher. You say, well, I don't have the gift of teaching. Well, you have the role of teaching. You are teaching somebody about life. I hope you're doing it deliberately. I hope you're doing it on purpose. I hope you see it as part of your call when Jesus called you to be his servant, to be, be his child, that you took on the mantle of the teacher and said, well, I'm going to teach my family at least what it means to be a person of faith. They will be trained, those born in my household. Now, brothers and sisters... You do not pass that responsibility to the church of Jesus Christ and say, they need to be trained at church. We're going to do everything we can to train your children when you bring them in the fear and instruction of the Lord. We want them to be trained people. And from the nursery on forward, we will have people take care of them at this hour and during the Bible study hour and teach them the Bible stories, help them understand the love of Christ. We're going to do everything in our power in these two or three hours on Sunday on the Lord's Day to teach them the Word of God. But all that we do will be nothing if it is not reinforced in your house through what you say and what you do. You have them 168 hours a week, and you do not pass on the teaching responsibility. You retain it in your hands and in your heart, not just for your biological children, but for the people who look up to you. Your nephews, for instance. Lot was a nephew. Your grandchildren your friends, and the people in your circle. In fact, as I study Abram, 318 trained men. i tell you what, when he pitched his tent, I'll bet you there were 1,000 tents in the camp of Abram. It was a small city that moved. Thousands of people as well as thousands of animals that they moved when Abram moved from place to place. When you grew up in his company, you were trained in the art of living as well as the art of war. I think about the businessmen in this room as well as the fathers and mothers and businesswomen and people who supervise others and all the opportunities that you and I have to convey the truth of God's word and do instruction in the positions he's given us. Abram won this war for his family because he faithfully invested the time to train from the moment these men came into his household. You may feel like you haven't reaped the benefits of training and teaching your children, that somehow they wandered off. But I guarantee you, the Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, and maybe especially when he is old, he will not depart from it. It is a proverb to hold in your heart, mom and dad. Even when it seems like your instruction has gone to naught, it hasn't. It's been worked into the DNA of your child's mind and heart. Abram goes to war for his family. And I want you to do that also. Families get into trouble. Sometimes it's the fathers who get them into trouble, as it was with Abram in Egypt Sometimes it's other members of the family who who get the family into trouble. In this case, it is a nephew. And in both cases, family members could have said, well, they made their bed, let them lie in it. Abram could have said, I gave Lot the choice. He chose to go and eventually live in Sodom. He is reaping the results of his own bad choices. So he can just handle the consequences. And there will always be an opportunity for you to opt out of the work God wants you to do in your family. And sometimes I know you've got to practice tough love. Sometimes you've got to say, this is the fifth time. I can't bail you out. I know you've got to do that. Even when you practice tough love, though, you're not giving up on your family. You're employing a strategy of love for the purpose of redemption and recovery. You want to bring that person back in, and sometimes the best option is not to bail them out. But, brothers and sisters, we are jumping out of the family too fast in our day. We're giving up too soon. If Abram can take his men and risk his household and a great company of men and go to battle on behalf of his nephew, then you and I can set our jaw and say, Lord, as you are my helper, I will do everything in my power that my family may have peace and they may know Christ and not be lost. And the Lord will join you in that work. We discover now that it is not Abram's mighty men who bring the victory, but it is God himself. Look at verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating ketel omar and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Here we are introduced to a mysterious figure in the Bible. His name is Melchizedek which means king of righteousness. He is also king of Salem. Some people think king of Jerusalem, for sure, king of peace. And he is the priest of El Elyon, God Most High, a title given to God 28 times in your Old Testament and here used for the first time in the Bible. El Elyon, God Most High. This is Melchizedek. He will be mentioned only one other time in all of your Old Testament, and that's in Psalm 110. And he will be mentioned in the mighty book of Hebrews as the writer unfolds the connection between the Old Covenant and the New and finds in Melchizedek a foreshadowing of the priesthood of Jesus, who is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, it is a beautiful thing that Melchizedek does in coming to utter the blessing upon Abram. He says, blessed be Abram, by God most high creator of heaven and earth. And this king understands the sovereignty and rule of God in the world. He knows that Abram has not truly delivered himself and his son from these kings, but it is God who has done the work. His family has been restored because God defeated his enemies. As he says here, Blessed be God, Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. Every time you take on a foe with a family, you remember that God is fighting with you and he is fighting for you. And you need to receive the blessing of Salem. Go to battle for your family and receive the blessing of Salem. That is the blessing of peace. Abram received this blessing and he indicated so by giving a tenth of all that he had to Melchizedek, this priest. It is the first mention of the tithe in the Bible. This is a tithe, the tenth. The word tithe means a tenth. And some of you have thought, well, the tithe is all a matter of the law. Well, this is the tithe before there was a law, before there was a Moses. Before the law was delivered, Abram gives a tenth of all that he has, which is why Jesus told those in his presence, you ought to have taken care of the tithe and not forsaken the greater and weightier things of the law, like mercy, justice, and love. So Jesus encouraged the tithe as well. And I just want to tell you, tithing starts in chapter 14 of your Bible before Mount Sinai and the law. And giving proportionately and regularly to the Lord is part of our worship. I hope you practice it. It will bless you as it blessed Abram. Sometimes it is very difficult to receive the blessing of peace. Sometimes we don't feel worthy of peace. God has acted to restore. People come to me often and say, I'm just having such a hard time forgiving myself. Think of what all God did to bring peace to your heart. He not only made you, but he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you. Jesus hung between heaven and earth for you. He died on that cross bearing your sin and paying your sin debt. He paid it all. We sing it sometimes, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So why do you never feel white as snow? Why does it never cross your mind that you are white as snow in the eyes of God? Why always the self-condemnation? Why always the guilt and despair about your sin? Why do you carry that weight around when Jesus died on the cross to deliver you from it? Don't you know that when you are unwilling to release the guilt and the shame of your sin, you negate the work Jesus did when he paid it all on the cross for you. It is a betrayal of your faith and of the salvation which he bought at such a high price. For you to continue to drag around that sack of guilt and shame. And it brings you down. You won't receive the blessing of peace. You must beat yourself up every day for all the sins of the past. They never leave your mind and your heart. They are ever present with you. Instead of the blessings, which are the benefit of of God in Christ Jesus to you. We live with the guilt. See, Abram receives the blessing of peace. Sister, you got to do it. Though you are not worthy, you know a God who loves you this much, and you must open your heart to all that he bought for you when his dear son died. At Calvary, and say, Lord, I receive the blessing though I do not deserve it. I want it in my life. It's the only way I'll ever have peace. Some of us live with such penalty of law in our religion that we never enjoy the peace. I want you to picture the tide of God's forgiveness pouring down from heaven upon you and as you walk through your life every minute every second every day his tide of forgiveness is continually cleansing you so that you are clean moment by moment second by second why because you deserve it no because this is what jesus bought for you at calvary if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Some people say that should be translated to have forgiven us our sin and to have cleansed us from all unrighteousness. I hear some people who are worried about dying with unrepentant sin. And they say, What if I sin and then all of a sudden I die before I have a chance to repent? What happens to me? Do I go to hell instead of heaven? No. Jesus paid for your sin, past, present, and future. And when you receive him as Lord, he continually cleanses you. So one day, if you have truly received Christ as Savior and trusted in him as Lord, one day you will stand before the throne of God spotlessly white and clean. Not because you lived a perfect life, but because you lived a forgiven life and Jesus cleansed you from all your sin. So no matter what second you die and pass into the next life, if you know Jesus as Savior, you go into the next life white as snow cleansed by the tide that follows you every word you speak every act you do every deed God continually cleanses you you got to receive this blessing this is too good to pass up (laughs) don't you agree? I mean we can't live with our head down in despair knowing what God bought for us at Calvary You say, well, preacher, preaching that kind of grace is going to make people sin. That happened in Romans chapter 6, you know, where Paul declared the wonders of the grace of God and then asked the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? That's the key. The key is this. That you understand your new position in Christ that he has placed you already in the present in heavenly places with Christ Jesus you're already seated there spiritually it is your reward from God through Christ who bought this place for you that place at the table that I mentioned sitting down with Abraham you already got your place Matt. your name's already there This is good news. Jesus went to prepare a place for you, not only in the mansion, but in the banquet table. It belongs to you. It's yours. You'll never live with the boldness and confidence and freedom and peace he intends for your life until you claim it as your own. I'm speaking personal experience, brothers. This is my personal testimony. I was saved when I was a boy. I hadn't killed anybody or sold any drugs. I was seven or eight years old. I've done most of my sinning since I got saved. All right? And there have been times when I wanted to give up on myself. And I remember a moment when God brought this truth to me. I remember where I was standing and the meeting I was in, when I finally understood that the slate is clean and my heart is white, that he has made me his own, and I am new, and I can stand in his forgiveness. And what a relief and triumph it was for me. Spiritually, it is a moment of turning for me. And there are people in the room who need to receive the blessing of peace. You need to stop the self-flagellation, the beating that goes on every day about who you are and what you've done and claim all that Christ bought for you at Calvary. It won't make you sin more. It'll help you clean up your practical day-to-day behavior. Much of our sin is faithlessness and doubt. Brother, stand boldly in what God has done for you. And one more thing. Reject the riches of Sodom. Okay, I want to read for you this now. Verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and... Keep the goods for yourself. Abram has defeated the kings. They took all the booty of the cities in the valley, and now the king of Sodom is saying to him, just keep it all, Abram. Look at verse 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a shoestring, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. King of Sodom comes. You earned it, Abram. Here it all is. Abram knows It's God who won this battle. He's not going to give any credit to the king of Sodom for his riches. This is an effort at misdirection in Abram's life. Greed might say, claim it all. But he is a man who has to hold his nose when he shakes the this king's hand. (laughs) I just can imagine shaking the hand of the king of Sodom. That had to be a trial for Abram. This man's later going to go up in flames. Judged by God most high for his wickedness. Reject the riches of Sodom. That is... All the things that are associated with ungodliness, unrighteousness. Don't take those into your life. Not even a shoestring. Abram receives the blessing of Salem and rejects the riches of Sodom. Why? Because he is a man of faith who knows God owns it all. He is creator of heaven and earth. And that is Abram's great defense against greed and pride and avarice of every kind. His great God will take care of him. Thank you. It doesn't mean Sodom's There will be times in your life when you must say no To what might enrich you but you know will bring you down when you must reject it because it is not consistent with your faith in Christ and so you say no even though yes would be so easy I love Abram in this chapter don't you I love this man's robust faith and courage and devotion to God His strength of character as he says no to Sodom and yes to Salem. I want it in my life. I want to receive what God has for me and reject what pollutes my soul as a leader of my family, as I do battle for my family, and as I stand in the faith of Christ. Bow with me, please. There may be lots of personal work to do. Maybe this message will... Confess your sin to him, he will forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Is that what you need to do? God wants to bring his peace. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. This would be a great moment to say, Lord, here I am, just like I am. I'm coming to you. I want you in my life. I believe you died on the cross for my sin and you rose again the third day. And I open my life to you. Would you pray that prayer? God, today we pray that you will do your work in us by your Holy Spirit. God, that that sister or brother who came into this room laden down with guilt of the past will feel that burden fall from her shoulders. As she receives your peace, as he receives your peace, God, that you will restore and heal.
1: Lord, I pray for
0: that person who has wrestled to balance the moral scales all their life, trying to do better, trying to do better, and yet no peace. That today they will realize what has been purchased for them through the death of Christ upon the cross and will receive your salvation offered fully by grace and received in faith. Help us trust you and lean on you. God, do your work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.